<laughs> okay, come on, come on, wither up, bring, bring, pull up your improv skills. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. <laughs> All right. Hey. What's up, man? Hey. How are you? I'm super good. I I good. feel uh I feel like the the high feeling about uh uh something Chelsea and I watched on Netflix last night. A high feeling? Yeah, like a like a trippy weird. Have you seen the or heard about the Netflix documentary on um I don't know the name of it, but it's about a single octopus and a guy. Have you have you heard of this? No, I don't think I've heard of that. Yeah, so it's it's this like filmmaker and I think he's South African. Um, but he, he grew up like basically the high tide mark went underneath his house or something. So he lived genuinely on the ocean and, uh, mm-hmm. he became a filmmaker and he did a bunch of stuff with Nat Geo or that kind of stuff, like crazy, um, like these, these trackers in Africa. And it talks about that a little bit and some of the work that he did, but he got to like, I don't know, mid forties and he had this big existential crisis and he just didn't know which way was up or down. He couldn't kind of, um, make sense of anything. And so he, he went back to South Africa. He just was like, I don't want to ever see another, uh, like camera or editing suite ever again in my life. I just, I, I can't do it. So he goes back um, and he goes back to the ocean where he grew up and uh, he just started to swim out. And there's this like a couple of hundred yard, like square yards of um, more calm waters. Cause I guess the, the waters are super turbulent there, but like it's, it's a kelp forest. And so it, it shields it from that. And so he would just go out there um Freezing cold water it reminded me of you because he's, uh, he talks about swimming in the cold, kind of like Wim Hof does. Um, oh yeah, like how therapeutic that even just that was. He's no wetsuit, uh, bare chested, no scuba gear, and he would just dive. And uh, he was, you know, it's like basically how Wendell Berry would talk about his farm, but he started to talk about this couple of hundred square yards. Um, learning all of it. And in the process, he encounters this octopus and um, it's shot really beautifully. It's like really remarkable footage. And every day he goes and he finds this octopus and it kind of tracks that whole story. And it's, it's so specific that it just, I don't know, it just, it felt like you could live in that world, you know, that's the trippy part of it. Like, and octopus octopi, I don't know how to, the, the multiple, the, uh, the plural Plural. of, yeah, the plural of octopus, whatever that is, are absolutely aliens. There's just no question about it. They can change shape, change color. Like the stuff that the, do you know that all tentacles, like all the little, not tentacles, all the suction cups, on their what do you call those? Their, you mean their their legs? I guess whatever. Their arms? Yeah. <laughs> Every there's two thousand of them, and all of them move independently, as if like you or I had two thousand fingers. It's wow. very strange. But anyway, yeah. I just watched that, and we're for, still freaking out about it. Yeah, that's uh, we. I don't remember if we've talked like about this before. Then. Well, no one remembers, so right. it doesn't matter. But <laughs> the, like, you know, people like Elon Musk, in my mind, I'm like, okay, you know, Mars is cool, like, whatever, you know, tunnels under Los Angeles, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, someone explore the ocean more. Like, there is percent. I forget the percent, but it's common knowledge about the the actual percent of the ocean that we know anything about. It's like 98% is unexplored. We'll probably need to fact check that, but 
it's an enormous amount. No, it's, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating that. It is like virtually, it's so much surface area of, of the earth. It's ridiculous. Right. And so let's even, even if it, let's just say 5% explored, 95% unexplored or whatever. If, if within that 5%, there are octopuses <laughs> or, or pie or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like, what else? What's beyond that? Uh, yeah. I, that was, that was one of the takeaways for me is like, uh, we, we like, who cares if they're aliens? I do obviously care a lot, but like we have octopus on earth right now that we have no clue why maybe somebody has a clue. I don't have any clue how that happens because they seem to be like, even scientists are super baffled by the things that they can do. Yeah. And not to jump to a over spiritualized place, but I had this thought the other day where it's like, if we are not struck with awe and wonder about the things that we already, you know, scratch the surface on or observe or are aware of, what makes us think that we're a people who will find awe and wonder in things that have yet to be discovered, whether let's say it is extra extra uh, terrestrial beings, or even to me, I was, the thought was around the idea of heaven where it's like, Oh yeah. Always have these conversations about like, Oh, that pillars of Jasper. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, Have you, have you looked at the Rocky mountains? Like if that doesn't move, what makes you think you will automatically become a person capable of experiencing on wonder? If you're not one currently given the things that we are provided with that should blow us away with awe and wonder. Chelsea said that after we watched it, she said, I feel guilty on behalf of humanity and myself. And I thought she was going to say that we ruin these, you know, beautiful ecosystems or whatever. But she said that we haven't explored and enjoyed all of this, that we have earth and that we just, you know, live in boxes and go to Chili's and stuff. It's it. I don't know. There was something about it that was so convicting. Yeah. Like imagine, even just being able to try to articulate to a baby in the womb, what it is about to experience. And it's like, (laughs) I mean, if, if it is not just on edge, you know, or whatever with anticipation of what it is about to be gifted with, then, you know, something is off. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. And we're, we're just so, numb and callous to it who was it the famous some uh it was either a famous philosopher or scientist that said something along the lines lines of if the stars only were out you know once every whatever 50 years we would be fascinated by them on that night but yet we just take them for granted nightly that's absolutely true yeah if me and zeke were talking about the stars the other night sitting out on our porch and uh explaining it to him was a very trippy thing of like, that's uh, <laughs> all of those are suns and our sun's a million times bigger than earth. And I like it just trying to exp- explain any of that. And the light we're seeing is actually really old. Cause they're so far away. Anyway, it was like, yeah, freaking me out. Uh, 5% of the ocean has been uh, explored or discovered. So yeah, 98%. Okay. I'm sorry. I was 3% off. (laughs) And Nat Geo says that 80%, 80%, over 80% of the oceans, uh, have never even been mapped. Yeah. Let alone explored or whatever. Yeah. Why aren't, and this is a very genuine question. Why aren't we more intrigued by that as a species? Like when it comes to, I mean, of course, space exploration is a, something that, intrigues us and you know inspires us to uh, to do but i mean why aren't there you know elon musks who are or maybe and maybe they are out there but it doesn't get the you know the public press or whatever that you know uh, a, a rocket ship to mars would get but yeah we don't we don't have to have any uh nuclear reactions to to get into the ocean you just have to like you know have a boat and <laughs> I don't know what's, isn't it James Cameron that 
his like he put a probe down to the Mariana Trench. Like he's really yes. interested in deep sea stuff. Yes. It's really Yeah, weird. that's right. Maybe he is. Maybe Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are yeah, things being worked on that obviously I have no idea that are going on, but um just as part of the public conversation, it doesn't seem to be as prominent, but my goodness there have got to be some insane things that we have yet to discover. I, I do think that it's uh, relevant in terms of just our conversations in general about this, because it did lead me to like places that I thought were everything we've talked about so far for sure. But then, you know, it just makes you like, if an octopus is that remarkable, you know, uh, we've got a four month old baby in the house and it's like, Oh my God, this, this creature exists and we made it. And it's, I don't know. It just, it makes everything more interesting. If I don't know it, that probably doesn't make much sense, but it, it just has kind of, we've been reeling about that. Like yesterday, uh, Maggie tried a, like a piece of blueberry for the first time. I was like, that's the first time she's tasted a blueberry in her life. That's super trippy and weird. Yeah, man. It's, I heard this comedy bit. Um, and if this doesn't work, you know, you know how to edit. Right. But basically it was, well, there was a different twist and angle to it, but part of it was like, if we said that we invented this machine that just miraculously produced doctors, lawyers, artists, musicians, you know, go through that entire list. It's like, we would be like, are you kidding me? You can just push a button and do that. But yet that's what women do. Like, yes, you know, but, but again, just this whole idea of birth, you know, and, and all of that, to your point, it's like the things that we have experienced in such a routine way, like you would never be as excited about just simply eating a blueberry as watching, how old is Maggie now? Uh, five months. Yeah. Eat her first blue. I mean, we should all, it's just, yeah, we should, um, it's a shame we don't maintain what was once currently present when it comes to all of those sorts of things. Yeah. I think whatever it takes to get us into that place where we're able to kind of see with new eyes, all these things that are normal, um, quote unquote normal that are so bizarre and, and cool. I think that that's a uh, worth doing for sure. Yeah. Um, I could do a sermon illustration pivot where I trans like I, uh, Nope. What's the, what's the word? Uh, God, uh, where I transitioned into the text. I I really could do that, but I'm not going to, let's just, let's just read it. Sounds good. Matthew chapter 20. Uh, I think it's one through 16 and I'm reading out of the message. God's kingdom is like an estate manager who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. They agreed on a wage of a dollar a day and went to work. Later, about nine o'clock, the manager saw some other men hanging around the town square unemployed. He told them to go to work in his vineyard and he would pay them a fair wage. They went. He did the same thing at noon and again at three o'clock. At five o'clock, he went back and found still others standing around. He said, why are you standing around all day doing nothing? They said, because no one hired us. He told them to go work in his vineyard. When the day's work was over, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman Call the workers in and pay them their wages. Start with the last hired and go on to the first. Those hired at five o'clock came up and were each given a dollar. When those who were hired first saw that, they assumed that they would get far more. But they got the same, each of them, one dollar. Taking the dollar, they groused angrily to the manager. These last workers put in only one easy hour and you just made them equal to us, who slaved all day under the scorching sun. He replied to the one speaking for the rest, Friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage of a dollar, didn't we? So take it and go. 
I decided to give the one who came last the same as you. Can I do what I want with my own money? Are you going to get stingy because I'm generous? Here it is again, the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. I was reading uh, a commentary on this earlier, and the first thing the person said was, don't, don't try to add too much to this. Like the parable in and of itself, it really stands alone and has an effect without needing to be expounded on a bunch. Yeah. I have talked about this before that um, one way to think through parables is, well, I put it this way. I compare the idea of reading fables versus parables. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of, in, in my mind, is that fables funnel you down, use, use story to funnel you toward a singular meaning, you know, where in my mind, the idea of the parable is almost an upside down funnel where it, it, it is a story that creates a larger space of exploration um, to find many, many meanings within this, this simple story. That being said, I do agree with that because I, I, this one seems, this one seems a little bit more, honed into a simpler focused meaning well i I like the idea of the reverse the funnel and the reverse funnel because one starts fable starts with dissonance and ends with order and one sort of starts with with order and ends with dissonance like all of jesus's parables are head scratchers almost yeah but this one this one shoots an arrow at all of us because I mean, and we'll look at a lot of different details of this and look at it from different ways. But um, here's a simple way to put it. Like if you, you know, if you worked at a factory for 60 years, 50 years, whatever, and you are just, you know, seven to seven, never missed a day, all this kind of stuff. And you're working toward your retirement or pension and there's a guy that comes on, you know, in your last year and he's just a a screw up or whatever. And, you know, and he scratches a winning lottery ticket and (laughs) like none of us would be happy for him. Like (laughs) let's can, let's start from a place of absolute honesty with that. You know, we would be disgruntled. We would be yelling. This isn't fair. We would be doing all that the worker uh, who's crying foul in this parable is doing like, and then some it's, it's, it's not fair. Like we shouldn't be expected to react to this story in a way that says, how could he do that? How could he ever think those thoughts? Yeah. It's, it's supposed to, uh, to pull that kind of feeling out of us because it is, I think just intrinsic in all of us. It's human nature to say, I want things to be fair and equitable, and I want there to be a a, a system of measurement and that that things are based on, and that it's it's about earning things, and it it needs to make sense. And something like this, it's so it's so counterintuitive. Yeah, because on one in one in one way, I mean, of course, we we all just simply want money. you know, or whatever we need to participate in, you know, the economy. Um, And so part of the story is just, why is he getting the same amount of money that I am getting? I mean, so I'm not saying that that's not part of it, but even bigger, I think is we all want validation for the efforts that we contribute. And so if someone comes in and, and, and how is that shown? How is validation shown? And of course, fortunately or, un- or unfortunately, it's, you know, compensation. With, right. And so what, what is the person who has contributed the most effort feeling in this, in this moment? It's not just that. Why is this guy getting as much money as me, but it's also, why is this like, I'm losing my validation. Like the, what I contributed, my gifts that I gave to whatever this, venture was is not being validated and 
So we feel less than. So again, we all need that. Like it's not shameful to want that type of validation. If you give your efforts and your gifts into something and you're contributing towards it, like it's not shameful to admit that we want certain validation for what we what we did. And and this person is being robbed of that by by being compensated the same amount as someone who gave very little to the venture. Yeah, it it's the uh it throws a wrench in the the like rubric or grading system of the whole thing. He they all the the person who cries foul says I thought, you know, let's say it is a a dollar for a day or whatever. I thought that that every every hour I worked was 10 cents. So that they're seeing some, some kind of order beneath the surface of things. And then, you know, the landowner says, the vineyard owner says, I, I'm, I'm the one writing the rules here. Like I, we agreed on a, a price for a day and I hired other workers and it's my, it's my land. It's my money. Am I not allowed to do with that, do with it what I want, you know? And so it's the, it's the, throwing the wrench in what we thought the order was. Yeah. And, and, and if we read it in terms of, or if we read it with mentality of this is a, like, this is a business and this is a business owner. And, um, then all of, all of what we just said, speaks to exactly how all of us would feel if we were in the situation. Mm -hmm. But I think what really begins to expand the conversation and, and takes us in, in a different direction is the beginning when it just says for the kingdom of heaven is like, yeah, you know, so, so what, so what does that mean then? So what, like, we're not talking about a business here. We're not talking about, we're not talking literally about exchanging hours for wages. So, so what are we talking about then in terms of this being an example of what the kingdom of God is like, like, what is, what is the value? Well, like, what are the things like, what is compensation? What is, what is the things that we're contributing to? What is, how does that speak to this being quote unquote fair and unfair? Yeah, I mean it's it's totally zoomed out. It's it's using something that's as easy to understand as workers in a vineyard and speaking to, you know, this ultimate shape of reality, like this God's God's world that has been inaugurated in Jesus and uh, you know, has been the the purpose of everything all along. Um this is the way that it's set up and basically it just goes against everything that you would think is fair. Cause I mean, you know, it's almost like there are all these places where there are these reversals, uh, where like Job's friends are saying things that sound right, but ultimately are just dead wrong. And this idea of like, you know, you, you work for what you get and you earn it and everybody earns what they work for. And you don't, you know, it's like the proverb says that, uh, if you don't work, you don't eat or whatever it is. I can't remember the exact wording on it, but, but then there are these things that just totally reverse that. And so the end of it, you know, the last will be first, uh, that, that little part of the parable is so, so visceral because the, the people that worked all day are watching the people that got there at five o'clock uh, get paid. They're what they, they, you know, it not only did they work all day, then they get paid last and they get paid the exact same thing. It's, it is a, it, it's a, I don't know. I, I, that's why I think I know, you know, I started with you let the parable speak for itself. It's one of those things that should get under your skin, irritate you. It should, it, it should kind of disturb you in some way. Well, it's revealing because we can't hide the way in which we initially respond. For sure. Yeah. Um, 
but what I'm trying to kind of think through in real time, and to be honest, I don't even really know how to, to say it. It's like, with this being the kingdom of God, what, what's hard for us is to think outside of the structure of exchanged time for compensation. That like within the kingdom of God, it's like, it's not, it's not that, it's not that someone arrived late should be rewarded with less because what they should be rewarded with less of the kingdom of God. Right. Like how does, how does that even work? Because this, this gifting, this thing that we are gifted with is this opportunity to participate as, um, you know, our vocation becomes like, how do we build this God world? Like, how do we put ourselves out there in a way that is, you know, is constructing this world based on the foundation of, of Christ and of love and of grace and like how, how what does all that look like? And it's it's like if anyone at any point wants to join in in that work, then then what what is the roadblock in our own hearts that would want to prevent that? Yeah. Well, he's he's talking. This is not a mountainside thing where he's talking to five thousand people. He's talking to his inner circle, and so the message is, like, we want. Like, it doesn't matter how noble the thing is, whether you're working for a nonprofit or an NGO, or you're you know thinking broadly about your relationship to God and the, your walk with God. We want things to be fair. Like, we want God to treat us better because we've been walking with Him longer. We want. Uh, we want to keep propping up the idea that if if we pray a lot and we're super spiritual and we have a long history with God that you know somehow we're going to be uh, saved from disasters or uh, you know crazy loss or something like that. We want things to make sense and uh, specifically here, like if somebody comes in late to the party and gets everything that we got and we've been here the whole time working the whole time, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the older brother in the prodigal son story. That's that, you know, that's, that's Esau and Jacob. There's, there's a lot of precedence for that kind of thing being spoken about from Jesus in the new Testament is like, you're not the, you're not in charge of this. Like there's not a, there's not a grading system that then you can cheat the system. Like you can game the system in your favor by holiness, or you can game the system in your favor by like, um, uh, like fervent, uh, devotion. It, that it doesn't work like that. And so God, you know, Jesus's father, he refers to is the, he's, he can do what he wants to do. He's God, you know? And so we don't get to like try to game the system in our favor. We, you know, like when I was a kid, uh, people always talked about like, that's a jewel on your crown brother in heaven. You know, like we want there to be some kind of system of reward for what we're doing, especially the people who are the most, you know, capital G good. And, uh, and it doesn't work like that. Is what the parable says, and what I keep seeing over and over again is that God does what God God wants. Yeah, and I guess to just give an obvious extreme example, like let's just say, let's just use the whole, you know, very simplified version of, you know, afterlife in heaven and all that kind of stuff. It's like, um, let's just say, you know, on his deathbed or whatever. Hitler has the deathbed conversion kind of thing. Yes. I mean, it's the obvious thing that we would all think of. How would you feel being his neighbor in heaven? Like, right. It. And, you know, a lot of times if you make statements like that, it's expected that, you know, we should follow it up with a um, way to soften that or give some explanation that then makes sense or whatever. But like, I don't know what to do with that sometimes. Sure. You know, and. And but but what I do think of is that I need to think in through a different lens, because if I think through it in the lens of of 
of what you just talked about as far as like jewels in the crowns performance reward um all of those things then our only our only conclusion could be well this doesn't make sense but god is god mm -hmm. right but so it makes me think there's the need to step back and think okay wait a minute I, like i'm trying to impose this whether it's a business system or, or reward uh performance reward system i'm trying to impose that back onto god and and god's it's not like i can do what i want i'm the boss but it's almost like i don't operate under those types under those types of structures like grace is grace is bigger like grace is like here's this large thing that you are forever welcome to join in and the reward isn't like it's not like you know okay you've been participating in it and and living this spirit filled life for 20 years and so like what does it mean to make a million dollars a year versus to make you know ten dollars an hour like the the reward is the work the reward is being part of this 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 god presence being implemented into the world but we can't understand that outside of like hierarchical structure it's, like we would like like waiting for a promotion or something it's competing visions of what fairness is because the 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 person who objects to the landowner's payments and and says that's hey hold on time out this doesn't make sense He's not wrong. Like it's not fair what's happening. Of course. And and what God is saying, you know, to zoom out is that uh is that God's fairness looks different than human fairness. And 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 maybe fairness is not uh like maybe fairness is not even the goal. It's it or or it's a redefinition of fairness. All workers get paid. Like all all who uh are willing to come and work are are recipients of the thing. I don't know. It's it it just is it's a redefinition of terms and it's a it's a completely new way of looking at existence. Yeah, and it's uh, yes, and I agree. And and another word I would throw in there that it kind of redefines is is equality as well. You know, like we love we love to think in in those terms, you know, what's fair and what's equal. And, you know, and I'm not convinced that that that's always a good pursuit. I mean, of course, um, I guess I better clarify that because, of course, um, there is a way to when we treat people unequally, of course, there's a a horrifying way to do that but like road roadblocks to uh opportunity or like there there are obvious ways in which that's halted yeah and i i hope that it's obvious that and i know you're not saying that exactly but like why are we so upset like are we upset when things are unequal when we are benefiting from them you know, if we are on the if we're on the plus side of of that, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, n none of the five p.m. workers are saying, "Hey, I, this actually doesn't make sense." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, so what? I don't know. And I feel like just asking the same question over and over again. But but it's legitimately just. Um, because this one really is tough and it really does raise some hard issues because what is fairness? What is equality? If we are talking about it in terms of this, just God presence, because like a, a fullness of expression of your goodness in the world doesn't look exactly like everyone else's. I mean, this isn't a good example, but like, um, what if every single one of these workers thought that it was on un was unfair that they were not the landowners? Right. Like, like there's e there's inequality 
all throughout the story at all levels but it's like it's just kind of how the kingdom of god works as long as each part is allowed to fully contribute its goodness in a way that is rewarded with the kingdom of god yeah right because there's so many no that, no it does make sense there, there are so many question marks in the story. Why does the guy keep going back to find new workers? Like, is are they really needed? Or is the landowner just trying to find ways to be generous, benevolent, whatever? Um, that it, it's, I, I don't know. The thing that, the thing that sticks out to me in this is that it is, it is God's world and God does what God wants to do. And we can join and participate gladly in that you know celebrating the fact that grace is bigger and wider and more scandalous than we ever thought and or we can be elder brothers that like feel entitled to because i can't remember what i was listening to recently where um it might have been chris green it might have been a sermon clip of his where we feel entitled to uh to health and safety and wealth and whatever because of our holiness or because of our devotion or something. And so when something happens, whether we say it out loud or whether it's just quietly in our hearts, it's like if something bad happens to us, there is this feeling of like, I, I've served you all these years, God. Like, how could this happen to me? How could you do this to me, God, or whatever? And that's a that's a cancer that's there's nothing that's not the way that god's world works and um and it doesn't make sense and it's not easy to experience when you know you're on the receiving end not of something that feels like you know grace upon grace you're not the five o'clock worker you're the you're the all-day worker um but ultimately we we ought to be glad that we do live in a world that's like that because it 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 is we are the beneficiaries of it yeah um yeah i i hadn't thought about this until you were just saying that but there is so when we when we start to think about the idea of you know unfairness and in our reaction to it and everything there's two different maybe not completely isolated from each other but there's two different categories that i, I thought. so like there's the there's the one of you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I never missed a Sunday at church. I paid my tithe. I never cheated in my business. And, you know, my loved one got cancer. And right. Passed. Like there's that. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation because, um, and when, to be honest, when we started this, uh, based on this parable, I thought that, I was lumping kind of that in with this. And I was thinking that that would maybe be part of our conversation. But the, but the, but the thing about this parable that stuck out is we are talking about unfairness in a way that gives generously to everyone. And mm -hmm. so like, this story is not, this parable is not the kingdom of God paints this, uh, painting this picture of this God who says, it's my world. I can do what I want in a way that says um you worked all day this guy came at five o'clock i promised you ten dollars an hour i'm only going to give you seven and i'm going to give you nothing right like that would that would also justify this is unfair but but we need to be make sure that we understand that this story's unfairness is about an overly generous god that's exactly right yeah because it's the agreed upon wage. You worked all day. You got your whatever it is. Like I, I know the message says a dollar. I can't remember what the NRSV says, but you got your wages for the day. If if you had been paid first and you went home, you would have never known anything different. You're the reason that you're upset is not because of what you were not given. It's because someone else was given something that you thought was too gracious. Yes. Yes. And so the idea then that's a, that's a great point. So if he had not seen um, what the other worker had received, he would have went home 
feeling. It's a normal day of work. Yes. But the problem came when the idea of comparison came. Correct. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's, I think that's a, that's a very good point. And, and again, that the, the worker who was disgruntled in this story, it's just, it's an important point. It's not a disgruntled worker against a boss who screwed them out of money, but a, against a boss who in his eyes was too generous with the gifts that he possessed to give. And that's a very, obviously a very different perspective. I mean, not to keep going back to it, but the, the story of the prodigal son, the, the older brother is outside of the party. I mean, that, that is the, that is the picture that's painted. It is. He cannot join in on this feast that's been thrown for his brother because he is an idiot and squandered his dad's money and has been living lavishly and is, um, he can't celebrate him returning home. He can't, he, he can't, uh, he can't get behind his dad running off the porch and, you know, killing the fattened calf and let's, let's throw a, let's throw a huge party. He, he can't do it. And so I, I I think it's I think it's worth viewing this story from every different perspective. You know, like imagining yourself in every position as the five o'clock heat, the three o'clock heat, the the all day heat, or the landowner heat. You know, like all of them, all of them are worth looking at. And so, you know, it's like uh, Henry Nouwen's uh, thing at the end of the uh, Return of the Prodigal, his book, is that you know. We've all been younger brothers. We've all certainly been older brothers. Um, but in the end, we're called to be the father to people. You know, we're called to to recreate that kind of generosity in our spirit uh, and in the way that we engage the world. And so, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't want to make a real obvious, like, well, the, you know, in light of this parable, let's go and do this, because I don't think that's what we should do. Um, but I, I am at least kind of ruminating on those things. Right. And the, the, the father's message to the, to the older son, I know we're not talking about the prodigal here, but I think you bring up some good points And the, the father's message to the older son was, this is my estate and I can do what I want. And I decided to give the other brother your portion. The message was, your shortcoming is that you don't recognize how generous I am. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is and has been yours, but yet he has locked himself into this um, way of being that refuses to fully immerse himself in that. He and didn't so have his, anything to do with his brother's money. It's his inheritance. His younger brother's success had, yes, or well, if you want to call it success, but, uh, gift received had yes had nothing to do with removing that gift from the other son's um hands and that goes back to this where like the 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 disgruntled worker was not forced to hand his wage over to the five o'clock worker his right (laughs) he was just unable to celebrate a gracious gift to a fellow worker um so much about us is instantly revealed when we hear about the success of others, especially when we view it as undeserved. Mm -hmm. And so what does that say about you? If you, I mean, take it to this grand level, even like, you know, forget just $10 an hour. Let's just say you, you know, you were gifted a million dollars like for uh, some wonderful thing that you did you were given you know you were brought into like you were called to deliver a sermon at this huge church and they you know gifted you a million dollars and then you know as you're leaving you find out someone who just simply worked as a greeter was also gifted that same amount it's like you know so much of you is revealed when that greeter with his excitement shares with you that story and they're they're anticipating a shared excitement of the graciousness of the host yeah 
There's there's two right. responses. We both have a million dollars. Oh my God, this is fantastic. Or right. you you didn't deserve that. I did more than you. Right. I did. Yeah. And so then in your mind, then you begin to over justify your earning of that million dollars. Exactly. Like, when they were both ridiculous anyway. Right. I, yeah, I spent three hours reading a commentary. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how good my illustrations were in that. No idea. Yeah. I told three stories about my kids. <laughs> yeah. Do you not? He reached his hands up to me. I'm like the father. Come on, think about it. Yeah. And all I got was a million. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a really good point because and I think it's that's a universal thing that we've all experienced. I mean, I the, without going into a ton of specifics about it, some ridiculous thing happened to me and Chelsea. This like crazy gift was given to us that was totally not deserved or earned in any way. You know, it was just like just ridiculous generosity on somebody's part and different people in our lives. The response was either that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. That's so awesome. Like I'm so happy for you guys. Or of course, of course it always, you always get these ridiculous, you know, that kind of a, like, there, even if it's even if it's said sort of in jest, you know that there's some kind of truth revealed in it. Like that that crap never happens to me. I, I'm you know why is why am I? I don't know. I just think that that's a universal thing that people experience. It must be nice, <laughs> right? It must be nice to show up at five o'clock and get the same amount sure. of money. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I guess going back to you know what we were saying a little earlier it's like but if what if this is part of what it means to be uh and the kingdom of god being implemented it it shakes all of those ways of thinking up and it disrupts them and it's it it dares us to open ourselves up to the same radical generosity yeah yep I, and i think that that's the I think all of us, it, to to kind of bridge back to what we started with, all of us feel the sting of the of the story. Like all of us can imagine how pissed off we would be. Um, but the the turn is that in the end, we want to live in a world that five o'clock workers get fully paid. You know, we want to live in a world where this kind of radical generosity is. Um, experienced and um and so i guess it's the work of our lives to kind of kill off our ego and those those parts of ourselves that want things to be ordered and make sense and be fair and all that to to be open to that kind of generosity yeah and i think another point just to make is that it's not like the landowner gave the you know the person who came late wages for not having worked yeah, right like and and i would hope that if there was a part two to this story a second parable that it would be that you know they continued to uh to labor toward what it is that the the goal was of the land or the landowner's goal or vision like it's it, it you know grace grace invites us in but calls for us to participate. You, they, you know? they, were, they were standing out in the place where people came to get picked up for work. I mean, you know, they didn't, the, the landowner didn't drive to their house and, and hand somebody a dollar. It was, you know, it was based on their, you know, desire to, to have work, to be of service or whatever. Yeah, there was a willingness to offer what it is that they felt they had to offer to the project. Yeah. Well, that's probably enough exploration of, of that. I think we um, – it's one of those ones where we actually maybe found it a little bit as we talked through it. For sure, which is, I mean, kind of what we're trying to do rather than bringing – 
six points that we arrive, you know, like we, we've already arrived at and we want to just present them. It's more of a kind of exploration of a text out loud. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just to repeat what we said at the very beginning, this, it, we shouldn't feel bad that this is a hard one. We, there's certain stories that we, we're not being on honest enough if we read them and aren't disturbed by them. Yeah. You know, well, um, and, and not to, not to go back and reopen the whole thing up again, but if we remember the parable from last week, uh, kind of like what I said earlier about us being called to be the father in the, uh, prodigal son story. It's like last week, a great debt is forgiven. And then the person who was the recipient of that great grace of, you know, his debt being forgiven then goes and is, you know, a complete tyrant about somebody that owes him a fraction of what he was forgiven. And so as, as you know, all of us, if we, if, if we are really experiencing the reality of what grace is that we've received, you know, that we've been, we've been given by God, then it is this great and marvelous thing. And how could we not turn that around and, and give that kind of grace and that kind of gratuitousness, you know, that kind of like absurd generosity to the world around us? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I mean, and if we don't let these stories disrupt us and challenge us, then, you know, the obvious thing is we won't grow from them. Right. Um, and until we're honest listeners, we don't position ourselves in a place to be disrupted by them or position ourselves in, in a way in which we can um, become better having heard them. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's why we are doing Lectio Divina as a church and like letting texts get beneath the surface of just because you, you can, you can spend three weeks worth of word studies and, you know, just trying to get to the bottom of what one line of this means, or you can let the whole sweep of it get under your skin and recognize that this is the kind of world that we're called to live in and to, to build and create. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, why don't you pray that we become those types of people? Yeah. Lord, um, not a single one of us have arrived anywhere. Like we're, we are, um, confessing that we are not, uh, the way we should be, that we, we fall short of, being the kind of people that you've called us to be. And so we, we just ask forgiveness and um, we just want to live in those ways uh, more faithfully. And we want to be the kinds of people that would celebrate your generosity in the world. We want to be the kind of people that are open hearted and open minded and uh, open handed toward the world. And so I pray God that you would help us to be that pray that you would take out the kind of hard-heartedness, the kind of bitterness, the kind of jealousy, the kind of uh, sense that we earned all of this. Take all that away from us, Lord, and let us see the world the way that you do. Um, and we just thank you, God, that you love us and that you keep pursuing us and that even in our weakness, uniquely in our weakness, um, that we find you and you find us. And um, thank you that you're a good God. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.